Hey, welcome to the Default Alive podcast. I'm Corey. And I'm Chris. And this is our audio documentary of our journeys building profitable internet businesses. And so if this is your first time listening, you can learn more about us and get up to speed by starting at episode number one. But if you're a regular, welcome back. All right. Good morning, my friend. Good morning. It's a uh, frantic Monday morning. <laughs> I know. Both of us uh, not working on the weekend for the first time in a while and both <laughs> very behind and very scrambled. Yeah. Um, it, it seems like it'd be a good thing to not work on the weekends, but I'm somewhat questioning it, <laughs> which I guess is sad. Yeah. I don't know. It's I, I saw someone yesterday actually on Twitter being like, uh, earlier when I was working on the weekend, I saw it as a badge of honor. And like, now I just see it as like a failure for me to like use my time during the week appropriately and, mm-hmm. uh, and delegate and whatnot. And I, th- I think there's like some levels of truth to both, but it, I think it's all about seasons and it feels like right now we're both in that season of like, I just have a lot to get done mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes weekends are necessary. Yep. Yeah, Definitely even if I couldn't do it all during the week, it uh, needs to get done sometime. So I did some work last night, actually. I didn't really like check into anything, but I just like cranked some stuff out and uh, I still didn't get everything I wanted to last week done, which is a bummer and I can talk about it, but uh, I, I still managed to work a little bit on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Well, I mean, it. Uh, yeah. As long as you're, you know, last week you talked about being in kind of that perfectionist mode. So, uh, as long as you're getting out of that, then I would call that a win. Yeah. Yeah. So last week, um, I ended up having a little bit of a shorter week because we went, uh, I thought we were going to go like Friday afternoon to go camping. I think I mentioned it. We were going to go up to Mount Laguna here in San Diego and sort of spend the weekend camping and then come back, you know, early Sunday. So I was like, oh, I'm not actually going to be gone that long. It'll be basically be Saturday. Well, we ended up leaving Friday morning because it was sort of like a first come first serve situation. And, uh, and then still had to pack and whatnot and pick up some things along the way and then didn't get back home until like later Sunday, uh, afternoon. And so it was like a full weekend. And, uh, so my, my big thing last week was, you know, I was procrastinating being a perfectionist and I hadn't shipped these new content types. Well, I'm embarrassed to admit that I still have not shipped those two new content types and I didn't make any progress on them last week either, which is super bummer. Um, <laughs> but they were for a different reason. So I don't know if that like is an excuse for me or not, but it was not because I was a perfectionist, but more that I did not have the time or did not make the time to actually sit down and do them. Um, some other things sort of took priority between consulting and then uh I, I went down a couple of rabbit holes with swipe files as well just thinking about uh the newsletter and the landing page and trying to do more work on that and then you know it's like i have nothing to show for it but like i spent a lot of time on it mm-hmm. so one of those things yeah this is uh it's actually something that's been on my mind and i was struggling with it last week um and maybe for a while now is it's just juggling all the different priorities uh and trying to i'm not quite there yet but i'm trying to really narrow my focus down into okay just only do this one thing until it's all the way through completion and then worry about the next things because uh yeah i'm 
like trying to juggle all these different things and just dropping everything right now it feels like yeah yeah well for me too it's all about like the type of work like if i sat down and i was only doing uh email or i was only doing like sort of triage you know shallow work as it were just like checking things off the box and getting to do's done and sort of errands and chores like i could crank out a whole bunch of stuff in one day Mm -hmm. similarly with deep work if i just sat down and did a whole bunch of writing for the whole day then i would get a lot done but it's like the context switching going back and forth between like oh well this email is like urgent so like Mm -hmm. i want to put it off and i'm not looking at all the other emails i'm going to answer this one um, and then I'm, you know, there's this thing over here where I'm building out this new type of content, uh, but it's not really, you know, but I have a teardown to release. I actually didn't uh, release a teardown last week, but that's when I was kind of just like, screw it. I'm just need to like get other things done. And uh, like, I'm sorry, but <laughs> just the, the, the fact of the matter um, and get those things done. And so, yeah, it, it is hard, like not just juggling things, but di- juggling different type of types of work. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It sounds like you feel pretty good about it, though. Yeah, I mean, I feel okay. I think it was more just like the short week that was sort of like a bummer that I didn't get everything done beforehand, which I was trying to, but I didn't. Um, but I think I'm also coming to terms a little bit with like, I don't, I'm very much like a, uh, like once I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And I'm like, I'm not going to change or waver. And so, I'd been touting like, well, I've, you know, sent a new or a newsletter and a teardown out every week since I launched. And I kept holding on to that. I was like, you know what? It's just not the right time right now. Like I'm just going to skip a week or two and, or it might be a little bit sporadic, but I need to get these new other content types out. I need to record this episodes for the new podcast. I need to get this consult consulting up and running. And at the end of the day, it's not going to, uh, I'm not really like losing anything by, skipping out this one week or not doing this one thing yeah yeah i mean there's only so much time right yeah and that's the other you know (laughs) as as a knowledge worker too it's like the more time goes on like the more things you add to your plate and sometimes you just have to be like i'm not gonna do this right now or i need Mm -hmm. to like reset or just you know my inbox right now is completely full like there's there's a whole bunch of emails i need to reply to but there's these looming things on my to-do list and I just need to sit down and be like, nope, I'm going to do these things. And, and then once I'm done with them, then I'm going to get back to these other things that are calling my name. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. How was your week? Um, it, <laughs> I, I've had kind of this d- duality of, of feelings. It was a very good week um, productivity-wise. But also, uh, you know, the recurring theme that we've talked about on this podcast, <laughs> uh, it, it has not been a good week. It was not a good week or it hasn't been a good month uh, revenue wise. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'm feeling that slowdown a bit. Um, so, yeah, even though even though things were moving forward last week, like it's it's hard to let go of. Um, you know, looking at the numbers and, uh, trying not to <laughs> worry about it too much. Yeah. That, that is a hard one. Cause it's like, I think sometimes I wonder too, like, is it, is this just sort of the season that we're in of like, I don't know, entering into the holidays or the time of year, or is it, 
you know, more of like the, well, it's just the, the delayed effects, right? If I put in the work now, maybe I don't see quote unquote the results for a month or two months or three months. Um, and sort of knowing which one that is, or if, I don't know, or, or if there is something that's like you said, critically wrong or that you need to pay attention mm-hmm. to. Yeah. And I, I do think in this case it is seasonal. Um, like I, I've somewhat expected November, December to be slower, but still it doesn't make it any easier. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but I did see today uh, someone in the earnest Slack who um, has run a product for a number of years now on uh, somewhat similar to Jepus in the fact that it's like a, an add-on tool for another platform. And they mentioned how uh, they're seeing November slow down and this is typical with what they've seen in previous years. Uh, so there is, I guess, some, uh, relief there on my end. Yeah. I would think too, with, um, with the nature of like building and launching websites on Webflow that, um, maybe there is some of that kind of like cyclical nature of, uh, end of the year work slows down. People don't want to spin up new projects and then like beginning of year, January, like everyone does. And so maybe there'd be sort of like a spike or a boom, and sort of like that, you know, January through, through March season of, uh, you know, not even just like new year's resolutions, but just like new business year, hit the ground running, sort of get out the gate quick. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm hoping that happens. I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I guess we'll, we'll kind of see there. We'll see. But yeah, I mean, in in, in the meantime, <laughs> just going to use this period to um, try and, and crank out as much new stuff as I can. So mm. uh, definitely excited about that. Um, yeah. Are there any like big um, projects, features, things you're trying to get out the door like soon? Or is it more still like that? Because I know you're also in that phase a little bit of like... Uh, going through and trying to reduce the number of support tickets needed or sort of like making these tweaks and optimizations within the product to make it a little bit more self-serve. Like, are you sort of wrapped up with that? Are you still working on it? Or are there other big things uh, coming up? Yeah, um, that is pretty close to being wrapped up. Uh, I was able to take care of most of the high priority ones, uh, the smaller effort ones, and now, uh, so just last week, I finished up uh, the the latest enhancement, which is supporting Webflow's um, option field type. So I think I talked about this on the last episode, but that's now in early access. Um, had a few people use it already. Seems to be looking pretty good, and that will be that's a that's a really big one for. Uh, new JetBoost users uh, who are using it for the first time, trying to set up filtering. Uh, currently, oh, yeah. there's yeah, there's a pretty big roadblock if if your CMS isn't structured the way JetBoost needs it to be structured. Uh, and now with this new feature, it's going to open up uh, a lot more ways that you can use the Webflow CMS with JetBoost. Uh, so very, very excited about that. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, I'm. It must be a little bit jarring too if you're sort of like a newer Webflow user, and they spend all the time trying to do things right and setting up the CMS collections, and then add JetBoost, and you're like, oh, dang it, I like should have done this differently in the first place, right? Or, um, I wish I had known that beforehand, right? And it's not really your fault, but it's more just 
the education and stage of the Webflow user. Yeah. It's kind of funny too, because uh, this has been requested for a long time and I've resisted it for a long time because there are ways to set up your CMS so that it does work with JetBoost. Um, right. So there's basically like, there's always been a workaround for it. Uh, but as soon as I finished developing it, uh, I was like, oh, this is actually way easier for the end user. Uh, mm. And now I get why everyone's been requesting this. And <laughs> I was way too stubborn for uh, waiting this long to develop it, mm. which was kind of funny. Uh, there there are funny. a few gotchas with it. Um, mm. It's easier to... I'm a little bit worried about the support side because it's easier to set it up incorrectly than when you're using a... Um, the current process, but I guess we'll, we'll have to see there. Yeah. I mean, and it's a good thing. At least people have been sort of like knocking at the door, trying to, you know, kind of making a bunch of noise about it. Right. And it's not like you're building something that no one wanted in the first place. And then like, there was already a workaround for already too. You're like, why yeah. did I build this again? Um, but if people are actually, you know, it's sort of one of those things where it's like, they're not, the user might be wrong, <laughs> but like they want it and, and they're not wrong that they want it. Yeah. And I think I kind of felt that way for a while and, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty humbling experience when I realized I was definitely the wrong one here. So, mm. um, sometimes the customer is, is always right. <laughs> yes. Sometimes the customer is always right. Maybe that should be the, uh, the title right. of our podcast. I like that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's funny. Uh, actually on a, on a similar note, I've been really thinking about swipe files and why someone would, you know, buy a membership. And actually I had some, I don't know how much I shared about it beforehand, but you know, I had been doing a little bit of like seeding and kind of customer research through the swipe files community and asking about, you know, what do you think about the mission values and, um, sort of where to plant my flag in the ground for swipe files and what it stands for. And a lot of people tell me sort of, uh, why they signed up and you know, what the membership and the community means to them. And, uh, that's also been sort of why I've been letting go of the teardowns a little bit, because I think I've been holding on to it a little bit too much of like, no, this is like a really cool thing that like, tons of people should want to pay for I was like, Oh, actually maybe like the community or these other types of content are like more important. So like let go of your baby a little bit, like just go to what people are asking for and what they need. And, uh, cause sometimes they're always right. So like just figure out what they want and then like make it for them, you know? And so I've got the community now, but now I need these other types of content and maybe the teardown should take sort of a, um, take a seat, you know, or, or take a step back a little bit of, um, they're not sort of like the end all and be all of swipe files. I, I've talked to a couple of people too, like I've gone and done a couple of podcast interviews and had people asking about swipe files and they're like, so like, what is the membership? Like, is it, is it just, you know, the teardowns? And I'm like, well, no, like I have these other things coming in here too now, but like, it's becoming more and more clear that like teardowns isn't like the thing, you know, it's mm. maybe a side dish, but it's not the entree to use a, a food analogy wow yeah i mean it's so critical to be able to uh let go of that attachment to your initial idea and concept 
Yeah, that's that's really smart. Just listening to what people are actually latching onto and then going after that. Yeah, and we've talked about it before too. But like, it's really hard and uncomfortable. Like, really trying to always seek out the truth and like whatever that means, even if as hard as it is to hear it, like just trying to figure out, okay, why are people buying it? Why are they not buying it? And then like mm-hmm. working with or against those two things. And so I've been trying to seek the truth more with, with swipe files and like what the membership is and why someone would want it. Um, also trying to differentiate too. Like there are, there are several other sort of marketing creators now in this little space of mine and I'm not the first one either. And I love them all, and I, don't, and I don't think it's a zero-sum market. Like I think that there's room for all of us, and someone could have a membership to uh, to my membership and to three or four other ones, and still be you know feel great about it. It's not like we're directly competing, and I think there's a lot of opportunity to collaborate. But also, I need to think a little bit more strategically too about how Swipe Files is different from them because. Mm. I think it's, it's, it's not zero sum, right. But like, I need to have something else to offer someone if there are all these other marketing kind of memberships or Patreons or, you know, whatever kind of form, you know, paid uh, newsletters, whatever form that takes. Um, how do I position myself? Right. And that's a, that's a whole big question. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Have you thought about it all yet or, or where are you kind of at with that? Yeah, I'm, I've been thinking about it. I don't know if I have an answer, but I think, uh, I think a big part of it is the community because I think that, well, I know one for one that I'm the only one on circle and that has sort of like a community in the format that the swipe house community is in where it's, it's very, you know, it's not a Slack group. It's not a Facebook group. Mm -hmm. It's also not a Patreon where it's sort of like a feed of content where people can comment on it. Like it is a true sort of uh, conversational two-way platform. And it's it's async too. It's not real time like uh, like Slack, which can make it easy to feel kind of left out or left behind. Um, and so I, I really, you know, I want Swipe House community to be like the default, um, like marketing community that you should plug into and, and pay for to, to have community, you know, to find your people. Uh, but yeah, some of the other ones, I mean, I think the, t- the teardowns are definitely unique, but um, I've also been thinking about some of the other, you know, formats like the checklists and the templates and um, and the sort of in-depth, um, you know, kind of tactical guides as well. Uh, just because if you look around at some of the paid newsletters, um, like the Substacks, you know, they're a little bit more kind of like a mix of like how-to and thought leadership. And then if you look at, you know, like what Dave Gerhardt's doing and what um, Eddie's doing with very good copy, like they're a little bit like quicker kind of micro copy and they're, you know, tips and tricks. Um, and those are the kind of the two, like, I don't know, ends of the spectrum, I guess. So I'm trying to figure out, you know, I think with the community and with these other types of content, again, that's, those would be maybe like the differentiators and I could really, you know, own those. I don't know, but that's sort of the way I'm thinking about it. Hmm. Would you ever consider those to be maybe not the main product itself, but those are like marketing efforts for the community? Yeah, I don't know. Possibly. Um, 
it is a, a fine line. Like when I was redoing the landing page, which I'm sort of like in process of, and I'm trying to, I gave it like a first pass and I'm just letting it sit for me to kind of like work through subconsciously and let it marinate a little bit. But uh, even like the call to action, I was like, you know, become a member, join the community. Like, like, which is it? Mm -hmm. You know, like is someone mm -hmm. really like yeah. buying the community and the community comes with the templates and the checklists and the guides and the teardowns or is someone buying a membership for the content and it comes with the community, you know, like <laughs> which, which yeah. order is it? Or like, what is, and that's the, the hard part about this whole like membership thing is like, it isn't like one clearly defined category. It's a mix of the community content, um, other perks or benefits, right? Like there are other things people do, uh, maybe a bit more tactical, but I don't know. Yeah. That's probably the, the big question to solve. I'm sure you're, well, I don't know you, I'm guessing you may not be at like the scale yet, but that to me sounds like a perfect, you know, AB test, uh, use yeah, case where, which is it people go for, you know, option A or option B, but mm, uh, that's a good point actually. Yeah. Become a member versus join the community. Yeah. So I really like, um, join the community because it feels a lot more personable and mm -hmm. also a little bit more well-defined. So yeah. someone knows what they're clicking on. Um, but I also feel like it's, it's a little bit cliche, like join the community. Maybe is it a free community? Is it a paid community? What comes with the community? Like there also isn't a lot in there. Whereas with become a member, it's like, Oh, I get not only commu the community, but these other types of content or, you know, then it's kind of like the question mm -hmm. is like, well, what does it mean to be a member? Um, mm -hmm. and maybe I can, I don't have to fight some of the assumptions that come with joining community quote unquote, but that would be interesting to AB test. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, two, th two things, I guess one is you could maybe dress it up a little bit. So it's like join the premier community for marketers or, or, you know, whatever the copy right. is, uh, yeah. So someone knows kind of right away it's it's it is like a um, premium community that you pay for yeah i i know indie hackers was a different model uh, i think it was maybe ad based or um they had sponsors oh, or whatever but it kind of makes me think of you know they had the podcast and then they had the community and i guess had that been a premium offering yeah, I don't know if, if the podcast would have been marketing for the community or if it would have been the other way around. Uh, I think that's that's how Cortland talks about it. It's like he started the podcast as a way to get people into the form yeah. of the community, basically. Because um, then people could talk about the episode and whatnot, which it sort of took on a life of its own. It very much did. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, right. But yeah. Yeah, I guess that's I, that's why I wonder if, and I, I know you actually give a lot of uh, the teardowns and whatnot away for free right now if you're an email subscriber. Um, but I do wonder if more of that will just end up being uh, content that drives people to the community and that's the reason that they sign up. Mm. Yeah. Could be totally wrong, but that's kind of my initial impression. Yeah, that's very true. I know and that's that. Yeah. That's one of the things I don't know. 
I need yeah. to see the truth on that one. Yeah. But uh, I want to think like, oh, people will pay for all these templates and guides and checklists. But like maybe like the one thing that people just want to need is the community and all the things that kind of like go into that. Um, or maybe it's the opposite. And I could be completely wrong with my whole kind of thesis around like free marketing content and free marketing communities. And maybe like the community is, uh, I really don't, <laughs> I'm kind of going back on it. Like I really don't think that it would be, useful or good if it was free. I think that's really core to sort of like what makes it useful Mm -hmm. is having a sticker price on it that forces people to jump over some obstacle and qualify themselves and show some serious intent about it. Um, But the content, I don't know. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's definitely a good filter for the community and the fact that someone has to um, sign up and pay first. I don't know. I, I definitely don't want to be steering you in the wrong direction because I have no, no, used no. swipe file teardowns myself. Uh, you know, so it's it's certainly valuable content. Uh, I'm definitely not trying to say just give it all away for free. Right. Uh, but yeah, I've gone and, and referenced the library before when I was looking to uh, make some changes to the JetBoost landing page. So uh, yeah, I guess it remains to be seen what you, what you do there. TBD, TBD. Yeah, it, it feels a little bit like one of those things maybe that I could test pretty well of like um, creating more content, seeing how, what people's response is for it, and then also maybe doing some surveying around like why people sign up and how many times, you know, how often uh, are, is the content a part of that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if I, if I, you know, a couple of months down the road saw that most people are citing the community as like the main reason why they sign up, and uh, I maybe saw some traction with some of the free content of like, this is getting people through the door or interested. Then it would probably steer me in the direction of testing, releasing more content out for free and then really mm-hmm. leaning on the community as the paid offering. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Cool. I'm excited to see. Yeah. We'll see. One of the other things um, I wanted to get your thoughts on, but uh, happened, I think it was late last week. It feels like forever almost was uh parametrics being sold and um, yes which was crazy um i mean i love that he was able to write about it and share all the numbers because like literally when do you ever see that almost you know, sort of like this perfect you know crescendo to sort of the the open startups and especially the the parametrics kind of open startup journey with josh but uh super happy for him and the team but i wanted to get your thoughts on it man I, i'm so glad you brought that up because I uh, I almost totally forgot about that. <laughs> that was even last week. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, I well, you wanted to hear my thoughts. I wanted to hear your thoughts, obviously, as someone who uh, worked at Bear Metrics previously. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you know, I was, of course, super happy for Josh. Uh, it, uh, Like you said, it was, that was maybe the first time I've seen, like, a deal 100%, all of the details disclosed. Um, which is, yeah, is almost never happens. And, um, yeah, just, just really happy for him. I thought, you know, as people were talking about on Twitter, the, uh, the hacker news crowd was quite, (laughs) (laughs) quite hacker newsy in the fact that, uh, you know, there's a lot of critical and negative comments. Um, but they really, uh, they really lived up to the stereotype in that one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. I, I feel like Hacker News has become less 
about startups and more about working for the big, you know, what do they call it? Fang companies in, right. in, in Silicon Valley. It's like, everyone's like, why would you go, you know, start your own company when you can just work for Google or Facebook uh, and make whatever it is, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year as a, as a software developer. It's like, there's so many reasons why you wouldn't want to do that. Um, right. And it's, it's just weird. It's, it's like, it's very different from the hacker news. That I remember of, you know, now, now I'm going to just sound old and curmudgeon but <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, one. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know that, that was interesting. That was a little, hmm. uh, unfortunate. I, I, I do guess. wonder, cause you know, hacker news is so old, uh, and it's been around for such, it's kind of like grown up with Y Combinator. And now that Y Combinator is like, you know, the premier startup accelerator and everyone knows about them, wants to be in, you know, a part of it, et cetera. But also that a lot of the original startups are these big companies now, like Airbnb and, uh, you know, a whole bunch of the other ones. Of course, I'm drawing a blank on like their most kind of successful, uh, you know, startup stories. But a lot of those people, you know, who, who watched like the, the, the startup scene now kind of evolved into like the big tech company scene almost, you know what I mean? So like maybe right. that was kind of like why it sort of shifted that way is like just the companies and sort of who has been like lifted up as like the perfect example of a, of a startup is now like actually a really big company instead of a really tiny company. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's funny cause it seems like Google, Facebook, uh, you know, I know those aren't, aren't YC companies, but uh, the big tech companies try to portray themselves as as like startups still, but they're mm. they're like very much corporate companies now. I mean, oh yeah, thousands of employees. Uh, even probably like the the YC companies that come to mind for me, like you said, Airbnb, Dropbox, um, Dropbox. Stripe, I believe. Stripe, uh, yeah. They all have you know, probably hundreds, thousands of employees. Um, and so it's, it's like attracting a different crowd, which I think is what indie hackers is doing really well right now is it's attracting the, um, the startup crowd of the, the people that want to, you know, indie hackers is more bootstrap focused, but want to build a business, um, for the reasons you might want to, which is to, um, help solve a problem, help other people, uh, hopefully build some sort of like personal freedom for yourself. And I think that's ultimately what, um, you know, Josh ended up obtaining through the bare metrics sale, through his whole journey over, uh, the last number of years doing it. Uh, he got to create something on his own and build it and grow it and bring other people along with him. And, uh, yeah, it's just, to me, that's like, that's the ideal story not, go get a job working for giant Google corporation and, uh, you know, slave away there for 15 years. And then, right. Uh, hopefully your stocks allow you to retire or whatever, but it's, it's different for everyone. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that was exactly my thoughts. I, was, I didn't understand any of the arguments of people. I, I get in general people saying like, well, sometimes entrepreneurship is not, um, maybe like more profitable than being a really highly paid sought out developer, for example, mm-hmm. uh, working at one of the big companies where you make, you know, 
mid to high six figures a year and you get stock options and then you work there for 10 years and yeah, you can definitely leave there, you know, multi, multi millionaire. Mm-hmm. But for most people, that's not the case. And also it's probably not the lifestyle that maybe you would want. Um, but I felt like specifically for parametrics, like there's no way that Josh or most people could have gotten an outcome like $3.7 million on top of their salary the past mm-hmm. um, probably, you know, five or six years that he gave himself a, a, a salary. As it's impossible, like <laughs> where yeah. else would you, you know, unless you've got like a ton of, you know, uh, stock options before um, and then like right when you left, the company went public or something, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. when do you really have like an equity outcome like that? Right. Not usually when you're a, an employee, like it's very, very slim. Um, right. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I thought in general, like great outcome. I had been hoping and sort of rooting that Josh would sell the company just because I knew the place that he was in and the company was in and it was a great sellable asset. And so why not? Um, and the timing just felt right. Uh, well, one of the things, you know, that just like stands out the most and we chatted about a little bit, but was the sort of the, the tax loophole a little bit with, uh, QSB as the qualified small business sale, I think, right. Mm-hmm. Where basically if you own corporate stock for more than five years, then you can basically walk away tax free from an equity sale like that of a business, uh, barring state taxes. And I think Alabama is one of the ones that has like a 5% tax, but I don't think California does or most other States, like the vast majority don't. Um, that to me is crazy because that's the type of thing again, where even if you had $3.7 million in, stock options built up over seven years at a fang company, you would still be paying long-term capital gains. Right. Uh, and then even then you'd have to do something with the money, right? You have to pay something or there, I don't know. There's a whole thing about getting it, but uh, that's a lot of money to get tax free. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a crazy uh, option in the, in the U S tax code, but uh, yeah, if it exists and you're able to take advantage of it, then, you know, that's, that's smart. Yeah. Well, and it, it made me think a little bit too about like, like knowing your goals ahead of time and also like the whole, you know, uh, building a business to sell, like even if you don't want to sell it, but to me, even, you know, after the first time that Josh wrote about how he almost sold pure metrics and ended up, you know, the buyers end up ghosting him and sort of what he learned through the process was uh, this whole idea of the QSBS and just that if, if you wanted to take money out of the business, but the most efficient way to do that is not through dividends or structured as an LLC or an S corp possibly, you know, sort of like maximum or minimize the taxes um, that are being taken out through dividends, but like you'd still be paying a hefty amount. And also with the, with like the nature of SaaS is you have to reinvest so much. Like unless you have a crazy surplus of profit that you're spitting out every month because you happen to be like very successful, like pretty early on, um, it feels like that's like the most consistent or like uh, safe way to be able to, to have like a significant, you know, life-changing money out of the business one way or another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think 
so we've talked about uh, QSPS a little bit in the earnest chat. Um, someone brought up, I guess, one of the risks is, you know, especially with like new administration uh, in the U.S. here. If you're trying to set that up now, you have mm. to wait five years. Like, who knows it if it exists in five years or right. uh, if it's maybe changed in some way. But, uh, you know, not that it's it's on the table or anyone's been talking about it, but I guess something to keep uh, in the back of your mind. That's true. Yeah, things absolutely yeah. could change. I forget when it was implemented, but it was, you know, I want to say it's been around for at least 20 years, I want to say. Um, but there absolutely is that risk a hundred percent of, um, I would think though, cause I think actually there was a, like an early version. I'm going to sort of speaking from the hip. I, I think I'll, we'll link to Josh's article that kind of explains it. Um, but I'm pretty sure that there was like an early version of it. And then they amended it to basically be like even more tax advantaged and, but they still honored like. It's like, okay, if you, if you had it before this, like this is your terms. So I feel like it, you know, it could be one of those things too, where like, if you started doing it now, even if there was a change in the future, like there probably would be some sort of like honoring of the past system, mm -hmm. at least until it sort of like plays out or for another, you know, couple of years, for example, but I don't know, that might be wishful thinking probably is. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's a good point. I, I, I'm curious, like, so as you know, as a former employee, you joined how many years ago, Barometrics? Uh, December, 2018. Okay. So it would have been two years. Yeah. So, well, I mean, one of the things I saw brought up was like, there was this pool of money reserved for employees that had options. Um, I guess curious about your thoughts on that. I don't, I, I don't know if you had options or not. Mm. So <laughs> no, I did not have options. Um, yeah. And I think, it, yeah, he, he mentioned there was mainly like early employees who had stock options. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, really, I would assume there was probably more on the engineering side of things as well, since they're so closely tied to the product and also kind of filling that pseudo CTO role that he was mainly hiring for in the early days um, to kind of build some ownership. That way they you know, reduce the risk of someone just taking off and then the code base not yeah, working right. and not having a work workable product. Um, right. But I actually, I mean, I thought that I was actually pretty generous, um, with the amounts that I'm assuming and sort of, especially given that there was probably only a couple people that that 300,000 went to. He also mentioned mm -hmm. that some of that went as to, uh, to a bonus to the current employees for staying. Um, so my assumption is that there was probably around, you know, I don't know, 250,000 that went straight to employees. And I would guess there was probably, three to four employees max. So that's a pretty mm -hmm. sizable yeah. bonus check. Um, nothing like maybe what you'd want in a venture sort of outcome, right? Where it's, uh, you know, there's a couple extra zeros on there, maybe one or two extra zeros. But uh, yeah, I thought it was generous. I I'm of the thought of like, if you're an employee, you should be paid really well in your salary. And I personally, I'm not... Um, a big fan of stock options or even of profit sharing or a lot of the bonus structures um, that most companies have. Again, if you're in a sales position, especially I can absolutely, you know, 
I have no, no qualms with the commission structure there. Um, marketing, I think could even be a little bit closer, but like for the company as a whole, I don't think that profit sharing or stock options makes sense most of the time. They're absolutely exceptions, but that's sort of the camp that I'm, I'm in. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, uh, at a, at a previous startup that I worked at, uh, when they hired me, I was actually given two different offers, one with, um, options and then one without, but a higher salary. Uh, and ultimately I ended up taking the one with the higher salary and like, I, I felt good about that, at, you know, regardless of what ended up happening with the company, whether it was successful or not, it was like, I knew I'm getting paid a fair wage. Uh, I don't have the expectation that, uh, I, you know, have or deserve like any type of upside during, during the sale. Um, Hmm. again, maybe it's different if you're like a first employee at a a venture back company, but I think for what's really more of like a small business, like, um, bare metrics or, or these other software companies, uh, yeah, as long as you're being paid well, I think that's, that meets expectations, you know, and obviously benefits and all of that yeah because i mean you need to have a, a pretty sizable equity stake for it to be financially rewarding in a mm-hmm. small sale one percent mm-hmm. of a million dollars is ten thousand dollars which is right probably not making up for the tens of thousands of dollars you forewent uh by right. taking the stock options right um same thing with with the profit sharing sort of why i feel is like it should if you're going to do it it should really be a true bonus and it should not be tied to uh, company goals or KPIs personal or otherwise, because how much control do you really have over the company's profit? Like what if in December you, you know, hire a big agency or you sign an annual contract with Salesforce and then all your profit is gone and you're like, Oh, sorry guys, we don't have, you know, we met our goals, but we don't have all the profit that we thought we were going to. That sucks. I was actually in a similar position with my, my first job out of college. I was given two options, um, except they were, weren't about stock options. They were about uh, bonuses. So one was a higher salary with uh, with a very small end-of-year bonus, which I didn't even propose, so I sort of saw it as uh, an extra. And then the other one was um, a smaller salary, not significantly smaller, but um, definitely enough to think about with a much larger bonus. And, uh, at first, so I was actually, it was was kind of, it was strange. I was like talked out of doing the one with the, going the option with the higher salary, which like should have been like a red flag should have like Mm. seen the warning signs Mm. ahead of time. But I ended up taking the one with the smaller salary and the larger bonus. And at, by the time end of year came, it was right before I was getting married and I was, uh, I had been bugging about him, you know, a whole bunch of times. It seemed like everything was on track as far as I knew, but there really wasn't like a formal agreement about what it was and how it was going to be given. And so I was a little bit banking on getting this bonus to pay for part of the wedding as like the final deposit for some of our vendors. And that time came around and then it was, Hey, sorry, but, uh, no one's getting bonuses and we didn't hit our number and, um, I'm sorry, but there's nothing we can do. And I was like, screw that. That is stupid. And I felt like such an idiot, but that, that really, for me, again, I think I'm biased. I'm sure that that's amazing. You know, I think ConvertKit does really a great job of 
profit sharing seems like Wistia and some of the, you know, other uh, small businesses, bootstrap businesses do, however you want to call them. Um, but my experiences with profit sharing bonuses and stock options has not been very friendly to me as an employee. Yeah, I think you said it perfectly. Profit sharing can be great if it's not tied to, uh, you know, benchmarks or or numbers that I've been in that exact same position when I worked for a consulting agency, again, like you very beginning of my career. And, um, and this was right after uh, the 2008 crash. Mm. So, you know, th there was uh, some sort of bonus structure that was tied to how well um, our group did in the agency. And of course, we didn't have a very good year after 2008 or 2009. So the bonuses were basically zero. Um, and later I, I moved to another consulting agency and as the economy picked up, like we started getting a lot of business doing big bonuses, but it was, it was exactly what you described. Like you have no control over it. So it just feels crappy. Like, right. I, I don't know that to me, that's, and again, this is one of the best things about, uh, running a bootstrap business or, or starting one up is like you have direct control over, well, you know, you have more control over the outcome as far as, um, the more value you're providing to people, the more, uh, people you're able to reach, like you're likely going to see better outcomes and you can directly influence that. Yeah. 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 I, I have no problem with people offering those types of things when they're paying, you know, 80, 90th percentile market rate. Mm -hmm. But when mm -hmm. they're, you know, I don't know, 20, 30th percentile, like they're just, they're average or even below average. And then they're throwing in this yeah. stuff to like make up for it. It's like, yeah, the employee is taking Sketchy. a big risk there. And yeah, also sort of red flag. Like, why is that? Why aren't you willing to pay market rates? Or why, why don't you want me to have a bigger salary that I can be more predictable <laughs> and, you know, uh, safe yeah. with? Yeah, totally yeah. agree. So rant over, but <laughs> really happy for the Grandmasters <laughs> team. And uh, I think just amazing overall that Josh is able to share it all. And it's a huge, huge win for the community as a whole. Yeah. And and just a very cool end-to-end -end experience to witness. Like he started Bear Metrics. He kind of, I don't know if he was the one that started the open movement or maybe that was Buffer or someone right around that time. Right. It was sort of buffer uh, started and then like Barometrics sort of like um, popularized with a few other startups to enable, you know, like sharing mm -hmm. metrics openly. But yeah. Yeah. So to, to start that way, run that way for what, 10, 10 years, maybe seven, can't seven remember years. The exact yeah. Number now. Seven I think it was years. November 2013 is when he started. It. Yeah. And then close that way being totally open. It's just, uh, you know, major, major props to him. That's super yeah. cool huge props yeah cool well anything else top of mind for you or uh anything new uh yeah one last thing i wanted to talk about uh from last week and again because this has been somewhat of a, a recurring theme <laughs> for at least me on this podcast uh has been one of the one of the major challenges uh with JetBoost is the the level of support uh needed to help people get up and running with it uh, and so last week I finally, uh, again, I'm, I'm not a very, 
naturally process-oriented person or, or very detailed. So uh, this has been like pulling teeth for me. But um, I, I started finally logging every single report quest, uh, support request that I get uh, every day. So I got maybe 90% of them last week. But uh, yeah, just set up a, a database in Notion. And whenever anything comes in, whether it's through chat, through email, I'm logging it. Um, started tagging it. Uh, this was actually something you mentioned you did at Bear Metrics with, yeah. you know, is this, is this a feature request? Is it a bug report? Is it something else? Um, and then the, the biggest, uh, I guess, win I feel like with it is I, I assign a difficulty level to each uh, request that comes in. Mm. And so I've got like easy, medium, hard, and the way I'm defining those is easy is some is something that I could hire someone tomorrow and pretty much they could answer those tickets uh, just using like uh, uh, internal support document that I provide them. They can copy and paste answers. Um, Medium is something where I would have to train somebody else on how Jetboost works. They would probably have to know some Webflow. Uh, and I would have to run them through specific processes for, uh, like diagnosing what's going wrong with somebody's site. And then the last one hard, those are the ones that require me regardless. So some of these actually aren't that hard to solve, but they require me to either run right now, custom SQL code or, uh, like a custom script on the, mm. on the back end. Uh, so. I, I couldn't necessarily have someone else do this, I, or at least I wouldn't want to right now, uh, just with like security and all of that. But these are also things that could easily be built into the product and wouldn't need to be done by me anymore. Um, and then some of the other hard ones are actually quite hard in that they need, uh, basically I, I have to really spend some time, some time investigating what's gone wrong on their site. Uh, a lot of times it's involves they're using like a bunch of other custom JavaScript, uh, or just doing crazy things in Webflow. There's so many different ways to um, have things go wrong. So um, it, it would probably be asking a lot for someone who's new to uh, Jetboost, and you know, again, depending on their level of Webflow experience, to solve those. Hmm. But it, uh, so, anyways, the sort of like end result of this is, and I have this this log of the last week, um, which had 26 requests. And of those, 70% were medium and below. Hmm. So it's just kind of eye-opening to me like, well, you know, maybe I could bring someone in who, if they could take 70% of the tickets away, like that's that's oh, right. a huge win. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's sort of a, a little, I guess it's kind of a, a background task that I'm working on, but it, it was quite interesting to start getting some data on that. Mm. Yeah. It, it does make me think like for the 30% that were hard, is it representative of 30% of the time you're spending on it? Or is it representative of 70% of the time you're spending on it? You know, sort of like the classic 80, 20, mm -hmm. you know, it, is the, the minority of the problems maybe on the harder side representing 80% and would it actually be a gain to have someone do the 70% that might be only 30% of the, the work? Yeah, no, that's, that's a very good point. 
Uh, I think in this case, uh, a lot of the mediums actually do take significant time as well, uh, just because those still involve doing some um, debugging on someone's site, but it's in like a much more clear fashion. Uh, but yeah, even even just you know if if the hard ones do take more of my time, still removing seventy percent of like the interruptions mm, uh, yeah. would I think be a pretty big win. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, that'll be that'll be an interesting one to uh, to keep monitoring and see if that changes week to week or if it's pretty consistent. Yeah, you know, 60, 70, 80% medium and below. Yeah, yeah. Obviously only only one week of data now. Uh but pretty excited to just keep doing that. It's also um that work is feeding into like my internal document where I have copy paste replies. Mm. Uh so that's been helpful and uh yeah. TBD on that as well to see see where that goes. Cool. Yeah, it's an interesting um, interesting process. That's uh, it's cool to hear about, and I'll have to keep following up on that one to see how well it works and what it what comes of it. Yeah, and I guess I I should give a shout out to uh, the member stack guys because uh, I found out they were hiring someone for a very similar position, like technical support. Uh, we ended up having a call last week, um, so I talked to them about that a little bit mm-hmm. and a few other things. And that was, that was pretty helpful for me. Cool. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. All right. Well, shall we wrap it? Yeah. Sounds good. All right. Well, we'll have as many of, as usual, as many of the <laughs> uh, mentions and notes we can remember in the show notes and otherwise we'll see you in the next one.